I am bringing to you today a mom who is full of wisdom and encouragement and has such a unique story. Her name is Jen Lowell. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She is one of my close friends, but she's also a military wife of six years. She's a mom of two little boys under two, and she's a former certified personal trainer and nutrition coach. She has a very big passion for working out and wellness. That's been a big part of her life, but she also had to walk through infertility. And like I said, has a very unique story with their path to building their family. Uh, But now that she has two kids, she's postpartum a few months out from birth of her second, and she's back to her routine, which I think is so cool that she's gone from her pregnancies, which I'll let you hear her story and let her share it. But her pregnancy, she wasn't as active as she was able to be in the past but she got right back into her routine postpartum, not in a way that was stressful on her body, but really honored where she was at. And ah, I just really think you're going to have so much to take away from her sharing how she fills her cup and gives herself grace, but still shows up in a way that honors her body and makes her better for her kids, for herself, for her husband. Her story is so encouraging. How she shows up will spur you on. And I just cannot wait for you to get to know Jen. So here we go. Hey mama, welcome to the Tough Love Mom Podcast. I know you're here because you're ready to get disciplined and lose weight, and you're not afraid of a little tough love. Taking on your journey postpartum is hard, but it's not impossible. I believe that we mamas have an ingrained ability to figure out what we need to do, make it happen no matter what, and do it in a way that inspires the world and sets a beautiful example of healthy living for our little ones. My mission is to help you uncover that ability and live a life of confidence and consistency. Hey, I'm Liz, and I've been where you are. I gained more than the suggested amount of weight in both of my pregnancies, but with sustainable habits, consistency, routine, and taking hold of my thoughts, I lost it all in just over a year, both times, and I'm here to help you do the same. If you're ready to stop falling off the wagon, truly break free from the perfectionism that is holding you back, and finally feel your best all while enjoying dino nuggets on your salad, you are in the right place. It's time to get disciplined so you can live a life of consistency and true confidence, mama. We're about to transform your postpartum journey. Get pumped up. It is tough love time. I'm so excited to have you here today, Jen. I'm just so excited to chat with you and share your story it's been a joy to watch you grow, not only as a woman, but as a mom and gosh, you're just such a blessing to me. So I'm excited for you to bless these moms. Um, but can you tell us about you and your family? Yes. So my husband and I have been married for six years and air force family, military family meeting you guys at our first base. We have since, oh gosh, I'm not even going to remember the number now, five or six bases now and a whole lot of moves and everything in the last six years. And recently had our second baby about two months ago. So we've got our two boys and so power to the boy moms. Yeah. I am a previous personal trainer and certified nutrition coach. So I've always had a passion for health and fitness and wellness and helping and working with, you know, women who are striving for the happiest they can be with their bodies and the healthiest they can be enjoying our time right now with the beach, but also missing the mountains and just kind of doing that stay at home mom life right now. What got you into fitness? Like what lit that fire for you? I know we both in the high school days were athletes Mm -hmm. and 
all of that. But what kept that fire going? Cause I talked to a lot of moms that are like, Oh yeah, I used to be really active, but now kids or then marriage. So what yeah. kept your fire lit for fitness? All those through all those transitions. I think just, I know how big of a uh, positive influence it's always been on me mentally. It did start when I was, you know, 12 years old, my dad got me in the gym lifting weights for basketball was my sport. And I was a competitive athlete with that all through high school and then enter college, fell off the bandwagon a little bit, didn't really care about my health, had to get it back. And that process of getting my health back, I think kind of reawakened me to like not taking it for granted. And besides the mental aspects, just how much healthier overall in like a holistic way, I guess I felt when I was actively, you know, moving, not every day always, but you know, a little bit every day or getting lifts in for me, lifting weights is my biggest release. I guess there's like right now I'd give nothing or I'd give anything to be able to go and like deadlift, like 35, 45 pound plates. We're a long ways from that right now, but like, that's the kind of stuff that makes me feel empowered and strong. So it kind of switched to that. Like, what does this do for me mentally? What does this help me, you know, kind of feel and believe about myself, uh, through the process and then enter marriage. And I was adamant to not lift weights because I thought it would make me bulky and funny joke. When finally the day after I fit in a wedding dress, I said to my husband, okay, I'll go to the gym now and got in the gym and was like, why haven't I been lifting weights? Like this, is, <laughs> this feels so good. This is so fun. And then, yeah, kids, it's, you know, I want to be, they are my motivation in this next season now, because while pregnant and having a toddler, I felt so bad at times at how little I felt I could interact with him because of the belly and the health. And just like, I want to be able to roughhouse with him. I want to be able to chase after him and run after him and play sports with him. And when pregnant, I think I got that first glimpse of like, I can't really partake in all of that right now in the way I want to be able to with him for myself and for him and the memories and the relationship we have. So now post that pregnancy, just kind of really focusing on the health I'm striving for is so that I can be the most present, fun, healthy mom that I can be for them. That's so important. I think a lot of moms shift that and they get that perspective check of, oh, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about my kids and our relationship and how it can serve my family. Mm -hmm. And there's such a physical aspect to that, that we can't forget about. We can't ignore that part of it. You have, so I think it's so beautiful how it's impacted your story and your ability to encourage moms who have walked a similar path to you and the connections you've made. It's just, I'm getting chills talking about it. Okay. I don't know how to bring this up, but you had to walk <laughs> through infertility and, mm-hmm. um, I have a handful of friends that have, and I guess what I'm trying to say is it brought a lot of guilt in certain moments for me being like, wow, it was so easy for me to get pregnant. And I have these close friends who just are struggling to build the family they want to build. And <laughs> there's times when I like would be really stressed out about motherhood and pregnancy, and it just wasn't feeling great. And I I could get those reality checks a lot, just thinking about you or my other friends who have had to walk through infertility, but Mm -hmm. what would you like, it never affected our relationship and our friendship, which is awesome. And I don't really know what I did or what you did or your mindset, but what are some things that helped you and definitely share what your infertility journey and growing a family has looked like too, because I think it's a really unique, it's a unique journey that I didn't know Mm -hmm. about. I didn't know it was a thing. 
And, um, when it comes to like friendships and relationships and having to walk through what you have walked through, what would you encourage moms to think about saying or not saying to a friend that's walked through infertility? And then can you share your story? Cause I just love it so much. Yeah. Uh, so first I guess, yeah, there's, there's a part of it. That's, I guess it's, it's a very hard season, especially at the beginning. And it's, you kind of, I remember catching myself after, you know, phone calls with lab results and test results and kind of being like, wait, what? And, you know, thinking like, no, this is stuff you hear about, but like, is this, is this actually real life for us right now? Um, and just the years of, well, not years, but you know, the year you're actively trying before insurance will cover that referral to go see someone and have testing done, like watching everyone getting pregnant and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Cause it's that sense of like, not, I don't feel this way anymore. And I can see how it feels that way when you're walking through it, but like people are moving forward and you're stuck. Like you're still trying to get what you want so badly and what you hope for and probably grew up thinking would come so easily. And then you have a really hard time with it and cycle after cycle, you're left with why not this time what's going on. For me, I had this feeling in this sense, uh, pretty early, like something's just not right. And I got from some people the you're so young, you're so healthy, like just give it some time. I don't know if I specifically ever heard the just relax, but like, I remember hearing things from people that were all like these phrases of it's going to happen. Like, Oh, just, you know, it's going to happen. Trust it. It's going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. And I remember during that time I became so obsessed kind of with like the health side And okay. I don't want my body fat to be too low because that can hinder things. Okay. But I don't want it to be too high. So like that kind of played into the health side, but definitely like, I know while we were going through it, I didn't let a lot of people in on what we were going through. People didn't really know until we shared the pregnancy announcement for our first son, how we ended up conceiving and what the previous two, two and a half years had been like for us. And then I became very open with the fact that we we ended up having to go through embryo adoption to grow our family and to have our boys. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm two months postpartum and I'm highly emotional still. And then Colton just turned two and I will start crying because I cried so hard putting him to bed the other night. I did not cry when he turned one, but I sobbed putting him to bed when he was going to turn two. Gets harder every single Uh, year. I'm like, what is this? That's supposed to get easier. I thought, I know (laughs) I I said to my mom, I go, I don't know if it's now having an infant again, that it's like, oh my goodness, this time is flying by. Like how? And I just, John, we were talking to a neighbor and John's like, oh yeah, she's cried five times today already. And I'm just like, it's a continuous faucet. It's fine. But I might cry a little bit right now talking about it because it does. It just, whether it's the hormones or just kind of being on this side of things now of our journey, I guess like the appreciation, but with embryo adoption, like we never did IUIs. We never did IVF of our own. So sometimes that made me feel like we skipped some stuff with like our infertility journey, um, because those are hard, hard things to go through. And they're not experiences that we had. Our diagnoses basically told us you will never have biological children. Like you're not going to conceive naturally. And you have like a less than 1% chance through something like, like skip the IUIs, like nothing's going to happen there. If you went the route of IVF, you've got like a less than 1% chance of that probably working out. And John and I just didn't feel any peace at all about attempting that and not saying that like financially it's not worth it, but 
you know, we'd heard stories of what if we do one round and there's nothing, do we try a second round? And then there's nothing. And we get to a point where we're 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars into this. And we just didn't feel any peace about going, you know, that route. And so I had closed the door. Like for me, a huge grieving part then was, I thought I'd never get to experience pregnancy. And that was huge for me. And sometimes I feel like that's selfish to say in a way, like when it came to like us starting a family, like I cared so much about me getting to experience pregnancy, but I know that's something I think that not all women, but many women, since they're little girls, like they dream of that one day, you know, you take care of your baby dolls and pretend you're pregnant and like that kind of stuff. And for me, I really wrestled for a while with the idea that I may never get to be pregnant and have that. And I had shut the door then, like I kind of had it out with God and finally was like, all right, fine. Like if this is not our story at that point, I've wanted to adopt for so long as well. And went into my relationship with my husband saying, I want to adopt, like, are you open to that? That I just went, you know, kind of a type A control freak. Sometimes I dove headfirst into researching adoption agencies local to where we were stationed at the time and all that stuff. And two weeks later, uh, my husband was actually TDY where we live now, which is crazy. And he was at a hotel that we drive by. And I'm like, it's so crazy to drive by that hotel now and be like, that is where it started truly for us. That he was researching one night and he found embryo adoption and I had already fallen asleep and he had left me voicemails and text messages and everything. And in the morning we were talking while I got ready for work and he told me about embryo adoption and we flew with it. And a week later we had applied with an agency, uh, two weeks after that, right before Thanksgiving of that year, we had a match with our first donor family. And by the following spring, the embryos, uh, that we adopted were shipped from where they were at a clinic to our clinic. We did a transfer two days after they got there. So we were like, we were pushing the cycle to happen and did our transfer and got pregnant with our first son. And he was born in December, 2019. And then we had to do a second adoption and we got matched with a new family. And we, again, we told our agency, Hey, we're ready to start this process again. And two weeks later we had a match again and, uh, moved forward with a transfer short. We wanted to wait until after Colton was a year old and focus on that and that Christmas and everything. And then February of earlier this year, we did another transfer and we transferred his one single embryo. And I was very nervous about that. Just there's different statistics for things and ended up finding out just, gosh, I think I got my first pregnancy, positive pregnancy test, like three days after transfer, because I just like, I had this feeling and my body was giving me all these signals that worked and he was born uh, middle of October. So growing our family that way, I mean, like I said earlier, it's, I don't want to say easier to be on this side of things now. Um, because I see like through social media, I've connected with so many hopeful embryo adoptive moms and other fellow embryo adoptive moms. And to see someone who's so excited because they just matched, like I can go right back there emotionally, like the season they're in, or they're preparing for their first transfer and all of that. And it's so nerve wracking and you're so hopeful, but you're so guarded at the same time because nothing's promised. And definitely, I think I've learned, I don't know the right, no one knows the right words to say all the time. And there are still things I see, I see and hear people say today that like might sting a little bit, or I kind of like flinch at like, Ooh, maybe not the greatest phrasing of things, but 
I think when you know someone's heart behind stuff, you can usually assume the best and no one's perfect. And I think as long as for me, the biggest thing is being present. So when I know someone's struggling with conceiving, like being present and offering yourself and, you know, you can straight up say, I don't know the right thing to say right now, but know that I'm here to listen, to not talk or say anything, but offering yourself as someone that if they want you in that season with them and in that space and that kind of very vulnerable, hard time, just that you're there. Because for me, it's always, I don't always need to talk. I don't always need to uh, have someone chiming in, but to feel like I know there's someone who has offered themselves when I want to reach out or to vent to, that's, I think the biggest game changer, I think for someone going through the hard times. Yeah. That's such good insight. And I love that you bring up the fact that it's a two-way road to that you're navigating. That's what all relationships are. And just taking your own perspective and saying, what do I need to, and recognizing that so you can carry on those conversations in a just loving way, both ways and Mm -hmm. give, you know, explain to people what you need out of that. Let's backtrack a minute because I remember when you first told me that you guys were going through embryo adoption and I love, I didn't realize the timeline of how fast it went from John having the idea to Uh transfer. That's just, I have chills thinking about that because it's, I mean, clearly was the path that was right for you guys. And it's so cool how that just rolled so fast once you guys came across it. But um, when you told us about what you guys were going to move forward with and the transfer and everything. I remember being like, what is that? What is embryo adoption? I've never heard of this. So could you explain to the listeners what embryo adoption is? And I think it's very cool as a Christian because IVF can be controversial and knowing Mm -hmm. that this is an option, I think is, I don't have words for it. It's so cool. So can you explain embryo adoption? Yeah. So embryo adoption is basically adopting frozen embryos. So their embryos already made of sperm and an egg through someone else's IVF process, whether, you know, some people, when they go through IVF are blessed with uh, so many embryos, you know, eight, 12, 16, 20 embryos. And it's, you know, they might have as many kids as they feel completes their family. And they have these remaining embryos and there's multiple things you can do with embryos. Once someone says that they are done with them, which is where kind of that controversy comes in with IVF being ethical or not and everything, because you can, I, which kind of, I guess goes first to where do you believe life begins? Um, and for us as fellow Christians too, this is an embryo that has the potential for life. If given the chance and the circumstances to allow that, you know, to happen. And for us, Okay. So backtracking what they can do is you can donate them to science. You can, which to us is kind of like, you know, it's dare I say killing the embryo, you know, you donate them to science, which there are good things that come out of it for research and stuff, but that's not something, you know, that we would really feel strongly about. You can trash them, which is the one that's even another step further where it's like, they just get discarded or then you can, you can leave them some fertility clinics have like a donor program so they can stay at the clinic and then they are donated to people within the clinic kind of anonymously. Typically you can match privately. I'm a part of a a Facebook group now where people just go on there saying, Hey, I'm a hopeful recipient. Hey, I'm looking to donate. 
and you can match privately or you can do kind of like we did where they get donated to an agency or or like an organization and when that happens i mean it's no cost to the donors but they also don't get anything and then us as the adoptees you know we applied and our method went very similar to a traditional adoption where we had to fill out an application we actually had to have kind of like a like counseling evaluation we had to have letters of reference from family and friends saying like these people we had to have a home study so ours progressed very similar to a traditional adoption and then our like bio and everything was sent to our donors first saying this is a family that we believe could be a good match for you and our agency does it very intentionally of you know we do have down to body types hair color eye color like all of that are some of the matching things lifestyle it's always scary to look at our two donor families and see the things like we have in common with them because we are such similar families and they do that intentionally so that the child grows up in a family much like the one they would have been born into with the biological family so it's all very intentional and then basically we matched and the first time was very different than our second time with transfers and protocols and the first time we had the embryos moved to where i was having treatment and i did what's considered a natural transfer a natural cycle so i didn't do hormones the most i did was i took some progesterone pills um, starting a few days before transfer and then until I was, I think like 10 weeks long or something. So that was very different because then our second time, we actually left our embryos at the clinic where they were at to travel to them for transfer. And I did do a medicated cycle that time. So I had all the hormones, the pills, the injections, all of that stuff. So two very, very different experiences, which was also similar to their births later on were night and day difference. But the process of embryo adoption, I think, is something, yeah, until we shared about it. And then I found this community of moms and hopeful moms and still people today, like when we share, you know, sometimes people might be like in passing, like, oh, he looks like you or, oh, he has this of, you know, John or where does he get his blue eyes from and that kind of stuff. And there, I've, I've found the delicate balance of sometimes I'm like, oh, he's adopted. And they're like, wait, you, you were pregnant with him. I'm like, yeah, but he was still adopted. And um, then it's kind of a fun moment to share his story, both of the boys' stories, because for us, like we take pride in that. And I take pride in being like, actually, these are the similar traits like our oldest has of his like three biological siblings. And like those kinds of things, like we take pride in that because we want to raise him to like, once he can understand to take pride in that. It's not a secret for us. But then, you know, there's times if it's something like you really don't know, I'm just like, oh, thank you. You know, you don't have to always go into the full story, but more often than not, I'm pretty open. So I'll just be like, oh, you want to want to hear about embryo adoption? Because that's how we got our boys. But what's been cool is to see like people that I knew from like college that I don't talk to randomly pop into a message to be like, hey, I know someone who's going through this. Would you mind if I passed your name and what you guys went through to start your family along to them? And it's those kinds of things. We're now being on this side. We have our boys. We've been so fortunate to have the experiences we have with our transfers and embryo adoption and our donor families that now it's always just like, I'm so eager and hungry to try to help make it easier for someone who's where we were three years ago and about to embark on, you know, what we've gone through and try to keep things as positive and hopeful, but also be someone who's like, Hey, I know that this, this, and this part of it are hard and it can suck and be confusing and stressful too. But yeah, being where we are now, it's definitely wild to look back and just see 
like you said, like for me, I've always said, God had this plan and he was so ready to give it to us. We just needed to be willing to say like, okay, we're going to stop trying to do things our way and figure things out because I wanted to be like, I have a plan. I can make this happen. I can let me make all the right appointments. Let's see the right people and do the right tests. Like, it's fine. We'll do this. I'll get us there. And then finally surrendering all of that and saying, okay, what do you have? Like, what is it that you want? And yeah, two weeks later, he opened that next door when we allowed our, when we finally said, okay, we're closing this one. We get it. Now you can move. And he opened this door and it just moved so fast. And so we've always said, yeah, he, this was what he was waiting to give to us. And I never could have imagined our, I can't imagine our family being any different than it is now. And so we're very thankful for what embryo adoptions, you know, where we're at with it. Yeah. It's so cool. If, I mean, your Instagram's listed below, so I'm guessing that you're going to get some DMS and questions and people saying, oh my gosh, my friend went through this. You guys need to connect because I didn't even know about, so many people don't know about embryo adoption, but there's such a community out there and it's so cool to see you so connected with them. So having gone through a transfer and having a prior fitness journey, what did fitness look like for you during your first pregnancy? How did you approach it? How was the birth? How did it affect your birth and everything? How was all of that? And, and your second pregnancy too, because I know they were different as well. Mm-hmm. Every, every kid is so different. <laughs> so yes. how are those two? How are your journeys during those? Um, and how are the births? So I definitely, I mean, after a transfer, you are put on like pelvic rest until you have like your, um, your viability scan. So it's typically, I want to say it's about like six weeks you'll have your transfer right, right around transfer. You're technically like three and a half weeks. And then your viability skin is usually between six and seven weeks. Um, and then at that time they might kind of say like, okay, you can go back to exercise and stuff. Well, both times, you know, they said, okay, here's your viability scan. Things look good. You can go back to exercising as was, but I also leading up to them both, I guess I should say this. I really toned it back. Like I said earlier, I love lifting weights. I love really intense workouts. And I went a lot lighter for about the whole month prior to each transfer, just to kind of put my body in a place where it wasn't under stress and it wasn't trying to, I guess, like heal and recover constantly, uh, from the types of workouts I was doing. That's not, you know, that's not for everyone and that's not required. Uh, but for me mentally, that's what helped. And then after transfer, both times, I would say I was pretty nervous to exercise just because it took so much to get to where we were that I was like, I sometimes feel like, was it a mind trap? But I know so many women too, you know, you want what's best. Some women can be like, okay, I'm going to go exercise now. I couldn't. So I kind of took it easy. Cue morning sickness and everything first trimester brings. And I didn't work out until I think my first workout in my first pregnancy was around 16 or 17 weeks. I just didn't ever have the energy or the desire And for me, I was very patient with that, where I wasn't going to push myself to exercise if it wasn't sounding good. I was kind of letting myself respect my body for what it was doing for the pregnancy. And then once it felt like, okay, I want to work out, I feel like I'm capable, uh, I will. So my first pregnancy, I started working out and then I worked out until probably 33 or 34 weeks pregnant, I'd say. Uh, But my first pregnancy brought gestational hypertension and Looking back, I maybe should have stopped the kind of workouts I was doing earlier with that gestational hypertension, 
but that kind of started being brought up in my early 30 weeks and uh, with high blood pressure readings and everything. And that ended up leading to me getting induced uh, right at 37 and five. And he was born on 38 after a, I think it was like a 21 hour labor. And yeah, I got sent straight from my like 38 week check straight to the hospital because my blood pressure readings, they induced me, did 10 hours without the epidural and then tapped out and said, give me that epidural because the Pitocin and I just, we weren't good friends. I don't like that stuff. He was born the next morning and I felt like in the end with the epidural, I was very present, which I wanted emotionally and everything. I was very present because my body was pretty chill, you know, from what I could feel. And I got him out. I think he was, I did like the practice push while they're like, Oh, we'll go call your OB and get her here. And I did two practice pushes and they said, stop pushing. He's crowning. Like he's ready to come. So like, we're going to chill and hang out here, lay on your side, try not to push, like, don't do anything. And then my OB got there and within one contraction and three pushes, he was out. And comparing that to now (laughs) the most recent birth experience with my second pregnancy, again, I didn't work out for a long time, kind of the same phases I went through of just being a little bit more reserved and then first trimester sickness. And then also now having a toddler to chase around, I would get so exhausted just from chasing him, even once like I wasn't having that first trimester exhaustion. So once I could start working out, I did here and there, but looking back, I probably worked out five or six times, like my whole pregnancy, uh, with my second pregnancy. And I don't want to say ironically, knowing the previous gestational hypertension, they had me on the baby aspirin the whole time. I had maybe one borderline high blood pressure reading the entire pregnancy, which was another night and day difference where every appointment was just kind of like, Oh, looks great. Oh, looks great. Which was fabulous. But we had talked early on, like, would we need to induce at 37 weeks, 38 or whatever, just knowing the previous situation with the hypertension. And luckily that was never the case. I think I had kept thinking though, we had, we had talked early on that we would be inducing around 39 weeks, regardless, whether it was, you know, medically necessary or elective, uh, just for peace of mind. Sometimes with IVF babies, there can be something with getting to 40 weeks and things having more complications or not the greatest outcomes. And so they were very respectful of that wish of mine, uh, especially him being in a second pregnancy and what got funny. And this is always where I, again, kind of laugh and maybe it, we'll see if this plays out in his personality as he gets older, but I was scheduled for the induction to start the evening of October 17th. And the couple of days before that, I was like, all right, kid, like I would love to go into labor naturally and spontaneously, but I'd kind of resigned at that point. I was like, it's an induction. Like we've done it before. It'll be fine. We're doing it again. And then the morning of October 17th, we planned to hang out and make the most of the day and get Colton settled with the neighbors that night. And so my husband took him and they went out for a while and I went to lay down and I felt a pop. And I said, well, that was weird because that was all the pregnant ladies know that was not gas. That was not the baby moving. Like, so I stood up and I started to feel fluid and I was like, okay, this is interesting get the husband on the phone, say, you might need to come home now and felt even more start. And I was like, yeah, we we're, we're going, I guess. And so my water broke at 1130 that morning and he was out just after six that, at that evening and his labor, 
I barely got the epidural. I think I got the epidural placed at 445. So I lost like the pain of uh, the contractions in like my abdomen and back, which was great, but I felt all the pressure and he was just, he was coming like a rocket. I remember looking back at how I had not experienced transition in a way with my first, because I had the epidural, like I didn't experience the way my body reacted and responded to it and what it felt like. And this time I think it was, I would not have minded being completely pain-free. That was kind of the goal actually. But now looking back to have that experience to say like, wow, that is like, that is how primal giving birth is. I mean, you think about it, like it is an extremely primal thing and it's what our bodies were created to do. But to have that experience of, again, then it came time, like my body dilated with him just real quick. And he was working his way down that birth canal pretty fast. And then came time to push and I got him out in two pushes. I did have a bit more of more greater repercussions from delivering him, but uh, he came out fast. And I remember just feeling though, like the difference, like the first birth having the epidural, like I could really focus my push. I felt like, and like having the experience of like squatting heavy weights and like the breathing and like all of that, I felt like I could really hone in in that sense. And then with my second, I was pushing, but I definitely, it was such a different sensation because you can feel everything. So it's almost that like counter, like, why would I want to push? Because it's making this pain happen. But yet, you know, like I have to push because I have to get my baby out. So they were night and day difference. Um, the thing that is still kind of, I don't want to say ironic, but wrapping my head around it. I worked out far less. My second pregnancy didn't have the gestational hypertension, gained about the same amount of weight. But my recovery has actually been, even with like the worst degree tear, my recovery and like feeling like myself postpartum has happened faster this second time. So I don't know why that is, but it's just, you know, yeah, the difference in kids, the difference in births and experiences. It's so funny how many parallels we have between our pregnancies and our births Mm -hmm. and our kids, despite how they both started, like Uh uh, just progression from once we were pregnant to our kids being born is so similar. And I think it's funny how it works kid to kid. And again, like you said, how different they are. And then something also that I've, I just kind of took away and noticed from what you shared. And I feel like this is a strength of yours that a lot of moms, me included can probably glean from is you. And it comes back to that. You being present instead of focusing on too much on the future or too much on yesterday or too much on other people, you are very focused on what's best for me in this moment. And you have this awareness of being able to look into the future of, okay, what's going to be best for my body throughout this pregnancy. What's going to help me just, I feel like you have this ability to look forward and say, okay, doing this today is going to support me down the road and keeping your blinders on and not saying Mm -hmm. what's the outside world telling me to do. Okay. I hit my second trimester. I hit my viability scan. I can work out now. You were really present with what you felt was right. And I think that's something a lot of moms can just glean from what you just shared as you tuned out those outside influences and just said, what's right for me right now. What's going to work during this pregnancy. What's going to work this week. And to add in the fact that your husband's been gone a lot too, in the past couple of years, it just Mm -hmm. adds that other factor of how am I going to work this in? What's Mm -hmm. right for me right now. Um, So I really appreciate that part of how you show up. Now, I think a lot of moms can do that during their pregnancy and, you know, respond to their body, but then that discipline, that consistency postpartum 
is hard to muster, but you've, and I don't want to use the word jump right back into stuff, but you were able to go who I cannot wait to work out. I'm excited mm-hmm. for this. I'm consistent again. Mm-hmm. And consistency looks different for everyone, but you right. really are in your groove. So how did, that's something I think a lot of moms struggle with is they go from not very active, not as active as normal during their pregnancy to postpartum. And they're like, I'm still not as active because I can't figure this out. So how have you made that transition into a routine that you feel you find so much joy in it and you feel so Mm -hmm. good? How did you do that? Cause I think a lot of moms struggle with that, not very active. And then they're not very active again, postpartum, but you've made that jump in such a beautiful way honoring your body and really helping you just physically and mentally the second time around. So how did you do that? I think one of the biggest things like differing the second time was the degree of like tear and everything. Like I was so much more respectful, I think of my body of the healing process, because I mean, my first, first delivery, I had a second degree tear and like that still obviously requires healing. And I was still very excited to get back to working out but this time I think there was a, whether it was, you know, the amount of, like they called in a surgeon to do my sutures and everything, like the intentionality of making everything that happened down there recover as well as possible. I feel like put an extra layer to me of like, if I were in a sport right now, I would be giving, I would be being made to let my body have time to heal and rest and recover. And then once it's go time, I guess, like for me, the way I've always kind of been is like, especially I think because I didn't work out a whole lot during, um, my pregnancy, I was just rearing to go like, because I missed it. And so, because I missed it, that fueled my motivation of doing it because I enjoy it and not out of a sense of, well, I need to lose those pounds. I need to like, I'm still this far above pre-pregnancy weight. So I need to get that away. And I can still see, you know, that extra bulb on the bottom of my belly and, you know, the extra around my hips, because we, you know, and my thighs, like, I wasn't focusing on those things and like the boxes I wanted to check of like, okay, fix this, correct that, get this back to the the size it was before and all of that. It's more of the, from the experiences I've had of whenever it's come time to kind of like take on a new challenge, I guess, with like physical health, whether it's growing muscle or losing body fat or losing weight. I've learned like for me, if I am enjoying the process and doing what sounds right for my body at an intensity that my body responds well to, and then over time that can progress, like, cause that's where I'm at now. My struggle right now is I want to do heavier, but I know I can't because I haven't really worked out in like a year in that way. Um, but respecting the process and knowing that as long as I'm doing what I enjoy right now, it will take some time, but I will see my body kind of continuously come back to, I guess, like what's familiar to me and what feels more like my body. And right now I, there's like some consistency and finding how that works is, has typically been like, my husband knows he gets home from work and I've been with the boys all day. That's my time to take care of me. And like, usually right now that means like, Hey, I want to move my body. I want to do something for myself. Like I am someone that is fascinated by and loves when I know, like I can feel a muscle working. Like it's that kind of, I don't know, slightly nerdy aspect to it of like, I was doing single leg deadlifts last night and I was like, Ooh, I can feel that muscle. Like, and my hamstring up through my gluteus medius, like that's pretty cool. Like may, and not everyone, you know, feels that way or thinks that way. But for me, like, that's the kind of stuff, the mind muscle connection is like something that actually fascinates me too. So like, while I'm working out, it's like a whole lot of that stuff going on, but 
I can say without a doubt, cause my husband did go TDY the other week. And like, there were two or three days in a row. Like I didn't get a workout in, I would be dressed saying the moment I can, I'm working out, but there would just not be a time during the day. I'd be like, Oh, both boys will somehow nap at the same time for at least an hour today. No, it didn't happen that way. And then at the end of the day, like with a pretty much still newborn, it just, I wouldn't work out. And then to those days, like I would feel a bit of frustration creeping in because I wanted to work out so badly for myself and for how it would make me feel and to feel like I was doing something for someone, not just the boys and you know, me, but that it didn't happen. So largely like when he is, when my husband is home, like, I don't know what it would look like for me right now in this current season, if it wasn't for him being so willing to help and know, like he knows how much I value it and how important it is to me and how much better it makes me feel and how much as emotionally stable as I can be right now, after talking about earlier, like I am just a basket case. Sometimes I feel like emotionally with crying and stuff, but as emotionally sound as I can be, like my working out feeds so much of that. And I think that comes through, like, it's always just been my healthiest outlet because I've had unhealthy outlets in the past and knowing like that this is a way that honors my body, but also honors my mind at the same time. So it's practicing grace for myself, even when that's hard to do. Like there's days where I'm like, but I want to do this exercise, even though it's hard. Like I went to do my first pistol squat last night and I could not get up out of it. And I was like, at first I was like, I could get up out of this after my first pregnancy, like eight, I think it was like eight or 10 weeks postpartum. And I did a pistol squat after my first pregnancy. And then last night I got to the bottom of it and there was no getting up. And I got frustrated for a second. I was like, no, we can do this. So I tried again. Nope. Same exact outcome. Like I was not I was not going to be able to do that exercise yet. And then I was like, you know what, then this just marks where we start. And this is where we have to kind of relay the foundation and respect the foundation period. And then progressively over time, like we'll get back to, you know, six, nine, 12 months from now, being able to just like move freely in a way that like, I don't feel like, oh, but I can't do that yet. Or, oh, you know, I can't support my own body weight in a push up yet. And like not being frustrated by that now and letting that s- stop me. It's saying, okay, this is where today marks. And in six months, I can look back at today and say, this is because, you know, you kept moving forward and like building on that foundation to be able to do what you want later. Yeah. It's like how that motivation is literally built day by day by day. It doesn't come Mm -hmm. out of this looking at your child. Yay. I'm motivated (laughs) or like, yeah, I fit in my jeans. I'm motivated to keep this up. It's Uh it's a focus on the process. We can miss that really easily because we're so focused on other processes as moms and so Mm -hmm. many tasks every day. So focusing on what the process is, uh, you mentioned an acronym in the military that people are probably like, what, what did her husband go? (laughs) So I thought I'd clarify that real quick. TDY Uh stands for temporary duty assignment, which the A and the Y, no one really knows why those two go together because it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. We don't make, we don't really ask questions as military wives. We just kind (laughs) of go, okay, whatever, (laughs) but it's basically a work trip. So (laughs) he was on another work trip. Yeah. 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 Um, So I love that focus on motivation that you explained. And what's cool too, is you really dive into the educate. I mean, you're a certified personal trainer, so you understand how all of this is working and the building the foundation and the movements and how they're helping your body heal and strengthen. But I think too, I mean, you don't have to become, you don't have to go to this other extreme of becoming certified to Mm -hmm. know 
why something's helping you. And what I've come to learn in multiple areas of my life, not just health and fitness and nutrition, but like pregnancy and birth and parenting a three-year-old, uh, so many er marriage. I mean, there's so many things that when you educate yourself, you become more motivated to show up in the way that you want to show up. And mm -hmm. so even just learning about postpartum, learning about how certain muscles are helping you knowing that, oh, your core isn't just your ab muscles, but it includes yeah. so many other things. Just learning that for yourself mm -hmm. can be so beneficial to motivate you to work on certain things consistently. So I think it's cool that you like tie all that together. What's nutrition look like for you? We know that nutrition is a huge role in our health as well. And, um, you also have a certification in that area for women. So how has that mm -hmm. played into like pregnancy cravings? Junk food is really easy to turn to postpartum with two little ones under two. So uh -huh. what's that look like for you? And what's your insight, your experience on all that? Um, just to help like a mom who might be totally lost mm -hmm. right now with that area. Yeah, definitely. I will say, I mean, same message you preach. There are multiple days a week where my lunch is throwing my frozen chicken nuggets in the air fryer because today <laughs> I, yep. I was, I might be making some for dinner later because when you're home with the little ones, it's, I can't cook up some gourmet meal. That's like, oh, I need this to be healthy and raw and all these things. Like, no, like I'm going to stick. And I, I would stick my chicken nuggets in my air fryer and I can still like they're cooking while I take care of the boys. And then once I, you know, get done what I can, I can eat them, put them in a salad, eat them with sweet potato tater tots. Like it's all balance. And so I would say it's still keeping that mindset of balance. Like you can't over obsess. I feel like on healthy, 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 and eating what you think kind of like you said, or even earlier, like the blinders, like don't look at what this other woman who is this many months postpartum or has gotten to this place that you want to see your body get to and be like, Oh, I need to eat like her. Well, no, you don't have her body. You don't have her lifestyle. She doesn't have your body. She doesn't have your lifestyle. Um, that's just not realistic. And so when I used to work with clients and it was women on like the nutrition side of things, it would be for focusing on like, I just want you to look at like, take an inventory of what you are eating right now. And then from there, it's like, okay, so depending on like what your goals are, are there healthier substitutions, alternatives? Is it the amount you're eating, the frequency in which you're eating? Um, is there like the mindless snacking? I will say I have one of the biggest sweet tooths. Like I keep my stash of um, my M&Ms at all times. We had a Christmas parade come through the other day. I, you bet your bottom. I made my husband go grab me packets of Skittles and Sour Patch Kids because I wanted them after they threw them at the parade. Like I needed those for myself. And so there's those kinds of things where like, sometimes I feel like I can't share like what I eat because I'm grabbing a handful of something sweet at least once a day, maybe twice a day, just depending how things are going. But it's also like, I know a little bit's enough to satisfy that craving. And then sometimes like if I satisfy the craving right away, I may not have that craving for another week or two. And so I think it's like that listening to your body, like your body knows it kind of what it wants. So like for me, like if it's asking for pizza one day, okay, I have a slice of pizza or two, like as part of my dinner, but then I don't want pizza sometimes for like another month or so, like, because I listened, I satisfied it. That's it. There's this, I feel like there's this balance that easier said than done sometimes to talk about 
satisfying it, but don't overindulge it. And then it doesn't have to mean you eat it every day or, you know, multiple meals and then easier said and done. My biggest thing is always talking about, yes, like your fruits and your veggies. I right now, my biggest thing that I know I need to improve on is first the amount of fruit I eat, like raw fruit. I'm amazing at feeding my toddler the right, you know, the right balance on his plates of like fruits and all that. So it's here, but it's getting myself, I guess, like to do it for me. And like, that's something I know I need to improve on, but then, you know, what can you do? Like I'm a bowl person. If you can throw it all in a bowl to me, that's easier. So taco salads where you can get your beans and your meat and your lettuce, and then, you know, whatever else, like if there's a dressing you like, or big, like into spaghetti. So then it's like, okay, if I have my meat and my carb, but now I need to add like, okay, what could I do for like a side of veggies? So it's not feeling like you have to stress about it and not overcomplicating it. It's just, for me, it's always been like this balanced mindset. And over time, I feel like you, if you kind of focus in on it, you become in tune with like what your body is asking for, because same as like when I would coach women in like their nutrition, your body, a lot of women are scared of the fats and they're scared of the carbs, but there's a certain kind of baseline amount of fat your body needs to be healthy and carbs, especially like, yes, maybe you want to lose some weight, but a lot of women want the more defined muscle. Like, no, honey, you got to eat your carbs too. There's so many things I feel like that have been put out there that make us fear specific foods or specific categories of foods, but it's like, they're out there. Our body needs them. We just have to kind of tune into what the right amount for our body is. And then respect that sometimes maybe you indulge a little more and that's okay. It's not going to put you back. And then sometimes there's also the natural, like you do need to eat more depending on what your goals are, like muscle growth and all that. Like where that's one thing right now for me is like, eventually once my body is woken up from all the muscles are awake and getting used to moving again, um, I know I'm going to probably have to increase what I'm eating actually for wanting to put muscle back on, because I know I lost quite a bit of muscle this last pregnancy from not working out. And doing that, I have to be able to give that something to feed off of. And that is fuel through the food. It's just a matter of, again, taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. I think we can try to, a lot of times you're like, okay, I'm postpartum, I'm cleared, let's dive into all the things or, and it can be overwhelming to do that. So moms will think they want to dive into all the things, but it really is a matter of, okay, let's wake these muscles back up. Let's re, I mean, there's so many muscles in your core and your in your arms and your legs that weren't engaged during pregnancy or were engaged at different in different ways because of how mm-hmm. your belly was carrying your child. So yeah, just giving yourself that process to change things and adapt and grow. Gosh, you have so many amazing takeaways. And I feel like so many areas that women can glean insight and knowledge and encouragement from you. So can you let the listeners know where to find you and follow you on social media so they can come connect with you and just be encouraged by who you are? Yeah. So on Instagram, it is Jen's journeys. I'm getting a little bit more fitness back out there. Uh, for a while, it's been mostly like the motherhood pregnancy and, uh, embryo adoption. It's a lot of embryo adoption, um, and stories with our boys and stuff, but I'm going to be trying to put some more fitness stuff back out there just purely because I enjoy it. But I do know there's still women out there that if, whether they're not inspired exactly or motivated, or they just don't even know what to do. I'm not always for, you know, monkey see monkey do, and you know, you got to know what's right for your body, but, um, I'll be sharing some stuff on that platform. And then recently I did create a new like Facebook page 
it's flurries of faith. And that again is also going to be focusing more on, I have a passion for writing, but just focusing more on the stories, both I'm actually getting ready to share Caden's birth story, my second pregnancy. I'm going to put his birth story on there. And then also just the ponderings of motherhood and the boys and, you know, how we got here, um, how faith kind of has carried us through it all and carries you through the daily multiple times a day of praying right now. It's praying over the colds that the boys, I guess, are bouncing off each other and um, all those moments. But those would be the two, two main places where people can find me. Perfect. You have so much wisdom to share. So I'm excited for everyone to find you and follow you. Uh, one last question. So this is the tough love mom podcast. And I think tough love can come off a little harsh. Sometimes I think that can be taken the wrong way, but the definition of tough love to change your mindset on that is love for someone else expressed in a way that is straightforward because you care about their well-being. So if you have one last, what, what one last thing do you want to share with these moms with that in mind? I have such a desire for women and moms to find their why in something that's not punishing rooted in shame, um, as to what they think their body looks like or what the scale says, but to find, and I feel like this is something that resonates like with you and your message so much, but to find freedom from those things and know that their value and their worth, it doesn't come from how you look, what you see on a scale, not even always how you feel, but if you can get the mindset of like, you know, the tough love can actually be in like shaping your mind. And sometimes it, someone saying to you, you know, snap out of that mindset you have, um, and kind of giving you some truth back. So what I think is so cool is when women can do that for each other out of love, out of a place that comes from honesty, but I'm telling you this because I care about you. And this is what I see in you. And this is the potential I see in you. And these are the things that I see that make you beautiful. I think not being so scared. I think our society is scared today to express tough love, to express criticism. Um, and it doesn't even have to be criticism because criticism can sound like such a harsh word, but to express it in a way to empower someone, I think sharing that tough love from a place of love, but in a way that's focused and directed at empowering them and saying, this is what I see in you. This is what I believe you're capable of. How can we help you get there? Or how do you want to get there? And giving that person a way to feel empowered, to take it on themselves, but knowing that they have someone who's going to walk alongside them to check in with them, to give them self checks and to encourage them. It's a balance, but I think, you know, the more people do it, the better each person is. And then, you know, ultimately we want happy, healthy moms. And that doesn't mean we all have to look, our bodies don't all have to look the same. We don't have to all eat the same things. We don't have to do the same exercises, but when we're all, you know, in our best places and our best selves, then that feeds off to our children. And then they are that next generation that can do that for each other. And so it's what example are we setting for them? Amen, man. I was like nodding my head and just amening <laughs> you that whole time, put myself on mute. Cause I was like, this is good. It is all about empowering. So wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, I just want you to stop and let that, what Jen just said, soak in. And the fact that whatever it is that you need to shift in your mindset, you're capable of shifting that. And Jen's here to empower you in that. I'm here to empower you in that your friend down the street who might be struggling with the same thing wants to spur you on, wants to walk alongside you in that might be going through the same struggle. So gosh, like lean into other moms, create those communities and those friends, find those communities. Like 
Jen's mm-hmm. leaned into the embryo adoption community so much. And I found quite the community with preeclampsia and moms of toddlers who wear glasses. I mean, there are endless people out there to connect with. So lean into those other moms and just be empowered by what you're actually capable of living out in your life. Gosh, so good. Thank you so much, Jen, for being on here today. Wow. Wasn't that an awesome, awesome interview? And her encouragement was just so spot on. I think there's a really easy way to approach motherhood and pregnancy and postpartum that gives us balance. And it just takes that being present that Jen talked about being present with what you need today, what is right for your body today. And what it takes is not tuning out what your body's telling you you need. It takes tuning into that. And I think Jen does a beautiful job of that. Again, she has such a unique story, but is such an encouragement to moms and how they can show up. So I hope you gleaned something amazing from this episode today. If you did, make sure to go find her on Instagram. I remember her her Instagram handle is Jen's Journey. And you can also follow just her musings on motherhood, their story of embryo adoption on Facebook at Flurries of Faith. And make sure you go connect with Jen, go reach out to her and just let her know how today's interview impacted you and then go get after it, mama. Before you go, Thank you for spending this time with me on the Tough Love Mom podcast. If this episode encouraged you in any way, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a review letting me know how the show has impacted you. Then send this episode to another mom friend or take a screenshot, post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me on this journey to impact thousands of moms. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you, sister. Until next time, get after it.